you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Yes, my name is Chris. It's a gift to gather out here. Even if it's a little chilly, even if we wear masks, even if we're distanced around some of us. Uh, yeah, just a gift of gathering together. Um, I don't know about you, but as I lean into just the season of Advent, uh, a season that, that talks so much about waiting, um, I think I'm learning to even just not take for granted um, this in-between space as a gathering outside, doing all of these things, taking the precautions we're taking, uh, caring for one another, caring for ourselves. as like this in-between tension of like, this just gives you a, a picture in your eyes, like of the things are not as they should be yet. They're on their way, but they're not as they should be yet. And so it kind of holds us in that tension. Um, tonight will probably be no different. One of the other things I love about the season of Advent is, is that waiting space in between, right? The, the coming of Jesus as a baby. And then when Jesus comes again, we learn to be missional people in the meantime. We, we learn to join the coming of Jesus in our lives every day and do the work that Jesus invites us to join him in doing here on this earth. And so uh, today is, is no different in the Advent text. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually take a few of the different texts in the lectionary and I'm going to piece them together kind of like a, a puzzle, if you will. And so you'll have to, to follow along with me as we encounter John the Baptist in the wilderness, Jesus, the light of the world, the prophet Isaiah, and then maybe even something that might matter in the way in which we live here and now. So before we jump into the book of John, let's pray. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are here. We welcome you. We thank you for your presence with us and among us. We invite you tonight to have your way with us. Would you teach us? Would you mold us? Would you encourage us? Would you fill us with your love? Would you challenge us? Would you bring us together as your people? And God, I pray that you'd give me your words to speak tonight as well. Words that are, are for you and from you, that make much of you, Lord. That's what we long to do here tonight, to, to know you more. So reveal yourself to us, speak to us. We give this time to you in your name we pray, amen. So I, I really love that the gospel passage in, in the lectionary is from John 1, starts in verses 6 through 8. And, and these three verses serve as just this great like introduction, invitation combination. So here's what, here's what John writes, John 1, 6 through 8. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. And so that's how this whole thing starts. But what the lectionary doesn't do is tell us more about this light. Think capital L, light, that John the Baptist is announcing in the wilderness. What is this light? Two verses prior give us some context 
albeit a bit metaphorical. Here's what the verses right before that say. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So obviously there's something powerful about this picture of light shining into the darkness and then darkness being unable to extinguish it. It's why like this time of year, right? We were even sitting here for a moment and the Christmas lights weren't on and then they were and we're all like, oh, Christmas lights, right? Most of us. It's why we gather around a fire and we can't help but look at the flames were drawn to the light. There's something about this picture of light. The light draws us in and John uses it as a metaphor to describe Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And up to this point, you're like, yes, tracking Chris. Right, that's, that's true, right? So while we can appreciate the metaphor of light in the darkness, darkness not being able to extinguish the light, I wanna ask the question and then try to answer it. What is the light? What is? It's a bit metaphysical, but, but bear with me, okay? Because fortunately, here's where we connect up with the prophet Isaiah. And he shows up in the lectionary for this Sunday as well. And he's gonna help us answer the question, what is the light? Okay, here we go. Isaiah 64, one through four. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, or 61, one through four. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. So then Isaiah pauses, and so does the lectionary text. And so here's where things get interesting, and, and maybe this helps us begin to answer this question about the light. Capital L, remember, Jesus, the light of the world. Because this passage that I just read from Isaiah is the same one that Jesus reads in Luke chapter four, when Jesus at the beginning of his ministry shows up in his hometown of Nazareth. It's the beginning of his ministry. He shows up, the spirits upon him, led him on this way. He goes to his hometown, invite him to the front or however the heck that works. And he reads from a scroll and he opens the scroll and the scroll is of Isaiah, this very passage right here. Jesus, the light of the world, reads this passage from Isaiah and says, this is actually about me bringing light to the world. Still tracking? You're like, kind of. Okay, hopefully I can connect it still. We got more puzzle pieces to put together, right? Because things are about to get intense before they get joyful, See, here's what happens. Jesus finished reading from Isaiah 61. He sat down 
And then he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And everyone claps and they're like, yay, justice. And what a great speaker. We love this guy. This is our Jesus. Joseph's Jesus. Yeah, you did it, Jesus. Then Jesus keeps talking. And when Jesus keeps talking, he does a unique exegesis, we call it, of Isaiah 61, the way he pulls apart all of the meaning present in this passage. And at first, right, he does the same thing, but before he quits the general categories of the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captives, the criminals, he starts to name the religiously outcasted people, the foreigners of the time, if you will, the people that in his hearing would have assumed were not included in what it is that the sovereign Lord had come to do. And so the moment that Jesus became specific about the wideness of God's mercy, the congregation heard and then therefore despised Isaiah's words as well as the one who spoke them. And they tried to throw him off a cliff. Joy of the Lord, this Advent, huh? You see, for Isaiah, the prophet that he was, who had been anointed as he read it, was sent to a nation that was divided. Which again, right, like it's history repeating itself, right? And he shows up to this nation divided where, where leaders, they, they played to their privilege. Justice was for sale. Iniquity persisted like it was just, it kept going. And so alongside in Isaiah's time and then also in Jesus's time, this backdrop of war, injustice, poverty, greed, the word of the prophet Isaiah and Jesus taunts a nation of people who've grown rich in things but poor in soul. And of course they despise that word because it cuts them to their core. The light is not understood. The anointing is neglected. You see, following the way of Jesus and of John the Baptist, the voice shouting into the wilderness invites us to ask some questions like, what if we too dared to be specific about what God has come to do? What if we get right down to it and we don't just talk in generalities all the time? What if the message Jesus has for us isn't just an option to wave at the idea of justice and restoration from a distance? Like, yes, you should be about it. Follow the way of Jesus over there. And instead invites us to get up real close. Like right here in this courtyard kind of close. And what if we began to acknowledge, even just in this place that we embody in this moment, the severed relationships here, the hidden addictions, the violence in our own families, the denials of depression, the raging affair, the self-loathing, the greed, the hatred, the fear that lives at our core. It's all right here. 
And then what also if we do, we follow Jesus in the way in which we zoom out and we begin to name all who are refused rooms at the end of, of privilege, the elderly poor, children around the world without healthcare, water, or education, refugees in Lebanon, the plight of the homeless fighting demons of mental illness. Like haven't we as the people of God also been anointed to bring good news to these? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Get up close and get a bigger view all at the same time. In fact, God's been saying that all along. In the case of the book of Isaiah, he was saying it back in Isaiah 49, 6, when he says this to the people of God, he says, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation, like my saving work, God is saying, may reach to the end of the earth. A light has always been what God had in mind and that God's people would embody it. To be missional people joining Jesus in the world is to live as people of the light, to live as people of good news, of liberation, of justice, of compassion in such a way that when we literally embodied in this courtyard live this way, the world would take notice and be drawn to the ways of God as well. That's why we can't just wave at the idea from a distance. That's why we have to be people of the light, shining it everywhere we go. We keep showing up where Jesus already lives and the darkness will not extinguish it. And yet, ironically enough, on this Sunday where the theme for this week of Advent is joy, we have in view all of those who are in need of the anointed good news and it's like, all right, Chris, would you just chill on all that for a second? That's like too much for this holiday season. Would you bring us some joy? And to that, I would say, let me read you a poem. This is a poem by Madeline Langle called First Coming. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners in all their grime and turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt. To a world like ours of anguished shame he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice, rejoice. I think Madeline Langle could have written the end of 
Isaiah's little chapter here because the passage in short begins with this pronouncement of good news, which actually seems a bit overwhelming. But it concludes with a response of joy. And so we keep holding out for joy. We keep waiting for it. And here's how the passage in Isaiah concludes. First, the Lord speaks in verses eight and nine, and then Isaiah will respond. So here's what the Lord says. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. And then the prophet Isaiah responds like this. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. Two things I see are connected to our joy in the Lord. What we're wearing and what we're growing. What we're wearing and what we're growing. We're dressed to be headed for a wedding, a feast, a banquet, the clothing of salvation, Isaiah calls it. And it makes me think of what Paul says in Colossians 3, 12 through 15, when he says this to the people of God. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? The people of God have always been defined by what they wear. And the second question that's connected to our joy is what are we growing? God has plotted, right, this this restoration, this new creation community with care. And he's not and, and will not going to bring it about by wielding a sword, but rather a garden spade which is kind of cool if you just think about us all wielding garden spades, right? That's what he's gonna use. The proclamation of freedom and good news sounded at the beginning of Isaiah 61 breaks forth on us. And what happens is is water starts to fall and flow out on to the fallow ground and from the ground sprouts forth, what? The beloved community that God's intended for his people to be that that's what we would grow and become, the holy people whom God loves. And that kind of community 
is a foretaste of what Jesus will do, but also what Jesus is doing. He's doing it in and through people who move together, who grow together. Will we pick up the garden spade and join him? It's interesting to think about being dressed for a wedding, holding a garden spade, being the light of the world. But that's why we use metaphors to try to describe what God is like. So will we shine? Will we get dressed up? And will we get our hands dirty in the garden? The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. Since I'm posing a lot of questions, I wanna give God the opportunity to have the last word with all of us. And so I just wanna create a bit of space for you all to hear and listen to the voice of God. So if, if you would, just where you're sitting, would you do this? Would you close your eyes and would you just sit with your palms up on your lap? And, and it's just a, it's a posture. There's nothing magical about palms open on your lap or your eyes closed. It's just saying that the posture of your body is aligning with the posture of your heart and we desire to receive whatever it is God wants to speak. And so would you still your heart even just in that moment, in this place, in this time? And I'm gonna allow us to be silent for a moment and then I'll, I'll guide us in a practice to hear the voice of God. So let's just sit in the presence of God. Jesus, we sit here literally in the center of our city, the noises of the city around us. And we ask that you would speak. And so we pose to you the question, what is it, God, that you want us to wear? Let us listen to your voice. What is it, God, you want us to wear? Whatever it is, you're hearing, even just the first thing that pops into your mind, would you just imagine yourself putting it on? Maybe it's a hat, maybe it's a shirt, maybe it's a blanket or a jacket or warmer socks and shoes tonight. Just imagine yourself putting it on. 
And then once you ask God, God, what are you growing and how can I join you? And let us listen for the voice of Jesus. What are you growing and how can I join you? And as words or pictures or ideas or thoughts come to mind, now would you just envision yourself kneeling in a garden with a little garden spade alongside Jesus and all God's people, planting and tilling, weeding and caring for the garden that God is growing the sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.